Hi, this is Jordan Shively. I'm Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story that we've heard, and then try to find the silver lining in it, or flip it around into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Jordan, how you been? I've been doing pretty good. You know, got a, a pretty classic story for this week. I'm going to be talking about the Spring Hill Jack. I've never heard of this one. <laughs> it's a, like a classic Victorian, Edwardian kind of steampunky creature. You're you're very Victorian, aren't you? In some of your <laughs> I tendencies, don't think so. <laughs> but um, not quite the the fake prude. But um, <laughs> so this this week, this story has a trigger warning for street assault and harassment. So if you have the issue with that. We're really sorry that you had to go through that. And um, we'll see you in the next episode. So I'm going to just go into the Spring Hill Jack. Um, so it begins on a September night in 1837. Polly Adams was walking home from the Green Man, a public house in the Blackheath area of London. She's with her friends who later collaborated the account. Corroborate it, not collaborate it. As you'll see, they were not very good collaborators later in the story. (laughs) Suddenly, a figure jumped from the shadows. And Polly stated in her police deposition that he was clad in a black cloak and his eyes seemed to burn with light. She also said that he smelled strongly of sulfur and that he spat blue fire out of his mouth. Polly's companions, the poor collaborators that they were, ran away at this point and the attacker ripped through Polly's blouse seemingly with claws cutting into her abdomen. Then suddenly it shoved her to the ground and bounded off into the night jumping. The second time that we hear about this story is a month later, um, Mary Stevens. Mary was assaulted on her way home from Battersea as she was walking through Clapham common. The figure grabbed her and shoved her to the ground and began kissing her. Mary recounts that his grip was hard and unyielding as steel. This attacker ripped at Mary's clothing with claws, much as Polly had recounted. But Mary also added that they were cold and clammy like a corpse. Apparently, she had been touching lots of corpse hands. Um, The attacker fled the scene once Mary's screams attracted attention. The very next night, a dark-cloaked figure stepped in front of an oncoming carriage, causing it to swerve and crash injuring several people. The coachman stated that the figure then cried out with a ringing high-pitched laugh, and then, for the first time in what would become a very signature move, leapt over a nine-foot wall to make its escape. Three months later, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, spoke in a public session to say he had received an anonymous letter stating that all the attacks had been part of a prank put on by a local nobleman as part of a dare. He also later showed a pile of letters from people all over London claiming to have suffered from similar or seen similar attacks, some of the victims purportedly having died of fright. They all shared the same MO, though, red eyes, clawed hands, able to leap over tall fences, never apprended, like a really even shittier Superman, apparently. (laughs) Um, I like I like that it's not shitty Superman, it's just shittier Superman. Yeah, I, I Superman, agree with you Superman's on that. pretty shitty. This one's like even shittier. He's not even like a white knight <laughs> dude, bro. This is just like the <laughs> bad leap, leap over tall buildings, asshole. There are several other popular accounts of close encounters with this entity, 
including that of Jane Alsop, whose account has more detail than most of them up to this point. She said a figure called to her from within her house, asking her to light for a light, claiming to be a police officer who had captured the spring Jack. When she grabbed a candle and ran out of her house to help the officer, the figure tossed off his cloak, and in the flickering light of the candle, she saw that he was not a police officer. She says he was wearing a tight-fitting suit all of one piece of white fabric and a metal helmet. What? His eyes, glow- his eyes glowed red, and his face was hideous, and he began to spit blue flames from his mouth. Jack then began to claw and savage her like the other women there on her doorstep. Luckily, her cries awoke her family, who went out and, at their brief scuffle, dragged her back into the house and slammed the door on the attacker. Now, this one was different from the others, because up to this point, um, the Jack had been been attacking poor women, people without any recourse. But Jane was from a well-to-do family, and of course, this was then suddenly a big deal. You know, it wasn't the unseen (laughs) other being attacked. This was a person of note in society, even to the point that the aging Duke of Wellington wrote out an attempt to hunt down this creature. Yeah, it it always gets important when, when it's not the poor's. The story of the Spring Hill Jack sightings continued from that time on into modern times, even into as recently as 1995. There's been stories of this. It's also captured the the imagination of the media and has shown up in everything from an episode of Coltec, the Night Stalker, to fantasy, to short stories, and continues to be an urban legend. Jack continues to flourish in and out of our stories as constant and violent as the very heart of humanity that birthed it. Now, the interesting part is right before these stories started, there were several actual attacks in London of a man who would like put needles into like his umbrella or his like hat and go around just jabbing people, you know, just a random violent attacker. And also at the same time, there was a supposed ghost attacking people and it ended up being the police shot it and killed it. And it was a baker going home covered in flour from his job. Um, so <laughs> this story sprung from a time when violent attacks and ghostly things were in the news and seems to, at least to me, to be like an extrapolation and adding to that. Um, of course, this was penny dreadful fodder of the time of the Spring Hill Jack. So whether or not this is something that was a cover story for some dark, weird, noble people doing crazy, like, golden bow bullshit, or whether it's just, you know, your your classic story, who knows? But the fact that it's continued to be reported until even recent times is interesting. So for the carrying into the void for this story, it goes like this. There will always be those who think you small and weak. They will slink out from their darkened holes and high towers. They will circle you with their claws and smiles sharp and hungry. But you, you will stand tall in the knowledge that they do not fucking know who they are messing with. They will realize far too late that your quiet was not weakness. It was a quiet that bursts a red and hungry rage. A quiet that smiles back at them with unending fucking saw-edged teeth. And it is a quiet that looms around those who thought themselves the safe predators and burns them to an ash where they stand in the reflection of your heart, dark and true. 
and where they once cackled to each other, their laughter full of hungry pride, now the only sound anyone will hear is the wind softly blowing through bleached forgotten bones. Yay, vengeance! (laughs) (laughs) Or not putting up with predators or bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, uh, bullshit bullshit vengeance. I appreciate that. So what do you got this week? I I wish that my thing was... It is shocking to me that there were not more reports of ghosts that turned out to be bakers. Uh, That seems like something that should have happened more often, especially in Victorian times. And and surprisingly enough, that that police was tried for murder and sentenced. Like, they they weren't like, Jesus. They were like, well, I mean, it's true. He shot a baker and thought he was a ghost. You know, it's like, they weren't like, oh, no, it could have been a ghost. Like, like that one story of, like, where the the ghost on the homestead and the, the guy that was vindicated of the guy killing his neighbor. Um, right. This time they they were like, no, you know, you killed a dude cause you're crazy. So or <laughs> you thought he was a ghost and that's no excuse. Thinking someone's a ghost is no excuse just to shoot them. I want to take that case to the Supreme court precedent. Also in what world do you think bullets are going to stop the ghost? God damn. There's so much there. <laughs> It's a it's a weird defense. Well, I didn't think I was I, was, I thought I was just going to scare him off. B- bullets aren't going to hurt a real ghost. It's it's a reverse witch hunt. Oh my god, there's so okay. <laughs> it's a weird detail to focus on in your otherwise really good story about not putting up with abuse. Uh, Jesus. Uh, so mine for this week uh, is uh, so I, I told Jordan I was going to drive down and record at this location, and then I didn't because uh, I don't know if anyone else uh, has noticed it. Uh, it is very hot. It is so hot, uh, and I do not think that this was going to pan out well. Uh, so, But then I didn't. <laughs> then I didn't. I just stayed inside. Uh, so about 30 minutes south of uh, my hometown in part of the same uh, county as a place called Lindsberg, Kansas. Uh, and Lindsberg is a Swedish community still. It was a Swedish immigrant community. Uh, just a whole Swedish town was formed there and it is still there to this day. And there's a lot of like cool Swedish stuff around there, but uh, which is, you know, there's not a lot of places in Kansas or or, the, or my part of the Midwest that I grew up around that were, were a community for, for one type of people still. And that, that was always really interesting to me growing up. And it was like, Oh, that's the closest all experience to getting outside of my culture is, is the culture of the people that I came from. Um, so near there, though, is this place called Coronado Heights. And Coronado Heights is this, uh, when I say when I say like a castle keep, what you see in your head is a keep. Uh, that's basically what this is. It's like a 300-foot-tall castle uh, that has like one giant door and a bunch of like uh, s- slotted uh, windows for shooting arrows out of. And it's on top of a hill. Uh, I think it might fit maybe a hundred people back in the day when people were smaller. I've, I've been there so many times since I was a kid. And by about the time I was in the fifth grade, I was like, I don't fit up the stairs anymore. Uh, this doesn't, uh, work for me. So it's Coronado Heights because, uh, Francisco Coronado was a Spanish conquistador. Uh, and, uh, he came up and, uh, he did just crazy, terrible stuff all through, uh, Central and South America, and then he got into uh, North America and was uh, tooling around. Uh, he discovered so many things, including uh, the Grand Canyon and the Colorado River. So keep those in mind. Like he saw the Grand Canyon. That's one of the first things he saw when he left 
New Spain or well Mexico. Uh, he went through uh, through all of New Mexico. He went through parts of Upper Texas and, and Oklahoma, and he uh, he got to the spot where my hometown is again. Uh, they built this castle, which was supposed to be sort of a temporary thing. And then they might've gotten stuck there for a little while in the winter. Uh, a bunch of the dudes died. And this is like, he started this journey with like a hundred thousand men. And like, they just keep dropping off and dropping off by the time he gets to this point. So we're, we, we could be down to a couple hundred at this point. Uh, and he builds this and he, he stays here for a really long time. Uh, just sort of looking off the, the top roof of this, of this quick castle thing that they threw together. Uh, and looking out over what's to come next in the Midwest. And one day he gets done looking at it and goes, eh, fuck it, I'm done. Uh, and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's just, I, I, that's the great American desert. There's just desert as perhaps forever in that direction. Nothing that will sustain us and we'll all die out there. So let's turn around. And they do. And they just go right back to Mexico. So I, it's it's always been a weird thing to grow up around because it it a guy in the 1700s or in the in the in in the mid 1500s sorry gets to where i grew up looked at it and was like no nothing could survive here and left uh, and that's what he that's where he thought america ended was this desert and so this this building is still there and it's not like a, a tribute to like somebody like winning a battle or something it is this tribute to one of the craziest most big dick energy conquistadors in history being like, I give up. It's a, it's a testament to giving up. And it's probably what saved like hundreds of people from dying, uh, including probably him. Uh, so it's, it's this weird thing that like as a, as a kid, I was like, this is a cool kind of haunted castle. And there's so many dumb, if you look it up online, there's a, there's five or six different sort of ghost stories about it, but they all sound like bullshit. Uh, like it's like, Oh, like the, 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 the best one is that uh, Coronado's men still haunt the the place because they died there. Like that one, I'll start that one would be fine. But there's a lot of other ones that like some drunk teens went up there and like one of their buddies fell off. But if you try to stand on the edge on certain nights, it'll feel like something's pushing you off as well. It's like, yeah, it's on top of a castle in the plains. I, you, yeah, there's a breeze. It's called vertigo. Yeah, <laughs> or or it, it's 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 bricks that were thrown together with cattle shit. Like I don't know, uh, it's it's not the best castle. It's it's actually kind of shitty. It's a pretty shitty little castle in the middle of the Midwest. That's a testament to giving up and how that that is sometimes a good idea. Uh, and and that that comes in in line with like I'm also a direct descendant of Robert E. Lee, which like everyone in our family. Uh, chooses to remember that the best thing that he ever did in his life was fucking surrendering. He gave up the civil war <laughs> when no one else in the South wanted to. And also like saved millions of lives because he was like, I know when to call it. And like, there is, there is something that like history in certain cases will re record as cowardice. Uh, and then later people come back and like, well, thank God that's actually the smartest, best choice that person ever made. And so Coronado Heights feels like that in a way too. So it's not, I don't think it's particularly haunted. It sounds like a bunch of bullshit haunting stuff, but it it is this weird eldritch monument to this lunatic's choice to be like, you know what? I'll slaughter entire cities, but that, that Midwest, no, I will not go in there. And it was the right call. Uh, 
So I, I like it as especially in our in a sort of our self-care way, knowing your limitations. I, I read it as a really good, uh, you know, tribute to that. And so that leads us into my self-care into the void here. Eternity is spread before you. And rather than gazing upon that, uh, you choose to open a small locket with a mirror inside. You cast your sight upon something that you can take in and process rather than an unknowable mess of constants and collapse. Using that mirror to hold up a reflection unto yourself, you can really ask, can I even do this? If so, plunge your darkness into that void and take it for all it is worth. And if not, maybe take a minute to make sure that you're right. Look out over the unending desert of opportunity and measure it against the township of your potential. If your search party cannot survive the journey, then turn back, dear traveler. Turn back and those spared will build a monument to your good choices, to your willingness to measure endeavors, and perhaps come back again sometime and give it another shot. I mean, time makes everything easier, except when you run out of it too soon. So make all time belong to you. Cool. Cool. Oh, I don't really have any self-care this week, did you? Uh, we just adopted two dumpster kittens. Uh, so that- <laughs> That sounds that makes pretty me good. feel real good. Yeah. Uh, we, Do they have dumpster themed names? Uh, so right now they're two brothers and uh, my one of my editors was like, you should name them the most dumpster thing you can think of. And so we're, we're tossing around the idea of calling them uh, Twee and Red after Twitter and Reddit. Mm. Yeah, I was like, that's pretty garbage. Uh, but do you really want your cat to be named after Reddit? That that was the thing. I was like, I'm not sure. I can call it Red's Red's a cute name for a cat. I but like, but in your heart, you know, and you're gonna start to resent that cat just like you resent Reddit. I I think it would only come up when like I go into the vet's office and they're like, and what's the cat's name? And I'm like, Reddit, and I'd get a look, and then I'd have to be faced with it again. Uh, Except when he's being shitty, he could be like, man, you're being a real subreddit today. Oh my god, that's really damn it. I <laughs> hope that isn't what sells that. God. Please Jordan. don't name your cat Reddit. <laughs> name don't cute, have good like, ideas, name man. Name cute like trash can. <laughs> oh, trashy. All right. Yeah. Uh, so that's myself. I, I, I was visiting friends. You got yourself a cute kitty. <laughs> you you have some self-care, man. You've been taking care of yourself. Trying. But yeah. no, no, there was no specific plan of it this week. So. Gotcha. Well, I, I guess mine is is then, of course, to to do this thing, which I think we've given us our self care at least half of the episodes of like know your limits and and yeah. know when to say no. Uh, I'm trying to know, know when to say no. Yeah, choose my choose projects that actually have reasons behind them instead of just saying yes to every project. And and before we leave this week, you should promote the game that you just released. Oh yeah, I just released. Uh, a source book for a really cool game by Grant Howitt. Um, it's the game. The, the main game is called Spire, and I released a source book for it called um, the Codex of the Deep Spire, which is a kind of a creepy, a creepy book about the center of this city being like the intangible void and how it's like all chaos and all the things that are seeping out into the city through this rift in reality. And it, it kind of is in the format of like epistolatory, kind of like Dracula, where it's like journals and this guy's entries in this guy's journal as he's going crazy exploring the thing. But then also it has a bunch of like new character classes and advances and items and stuff for Spire. So that's from Rowan Rook and Descartes is the publishing company. And 
you can find i've been talking about it on my twitter which is at hottest singles so you can go there to find some links and buy the game for yourself I love you so much. I love that you made it in. I love that you made a source book in, in fucking journal format about, Oh God. Okay. I, I just, and, and, and the, the game is set like in this, this one big spire of a city that's always changing. And um, it's kind of like a weird, um, almost like dark steampunk, but it's like drow elves fighting like a resistance movement against their light elf overlords. So you're basically playing like freedom fighters, but you're like evil drow elves. So it's all about like dark magic and stuff, but then also fighting against the evil pretty elves. So it's very important to me that you never take on anything that just operates on one level (laughs) (laughs) or or that would be, you've never, I, I don't think I've ever heard you do anything that, that has an elevator pitch. Everything has to be a couple of sentences, at least, just to get you started. <laughs> I, I do have one game I'm going to work on that has an elevator pitch. Oh, it has nice. one sen- has one sentence, Good. or even two words is the is elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> space Exorcist. Oh, that's, see, that's that's, 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 that's the stuff, that's, Jordan. One of my future projects is going to be an RPG about space exorcists. <sighs> I, I love this show so much. Thank you for doing it. With All right. Me. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, we'll be back with a new episode. And in the meantime, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where fine uh, um, podcasts are toiled upon. And please yeah, give, leave us, us- give us a review. And, and thank you so much to everyone who keeps saying such nice things about us online. It makes us feel really good. And feel free to share the show with your other friends who also have hearts that are dark and true and teeth that are sharp and many. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.